Welcome to Her Next Play's Power Chat Podcast, hosted by Sarah Wegman and Audra Emerson. At Her Next Play, our mission is to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. Sports build powerful leadership skills, and female athletes have enormous leadership and career potential. In our Power Chat Podcast, we talk to inspiring women leaders about sports, leadership, and careers. Hi, everyone. This is your host, Sarah Wegman, and I'm thrilled to welcome our guest today, Dr. Fanny Miller, to the Her Next Play Power Chat podcast. Dr. Miller is president of Hamlin University here in the Twin Cities. An athlete and a sports fan, Dr. Miller is highly involved in student athletics at Hamlin, where she regularly attends competitions. She's also active at the national level as chair of the NCAA Division III President's Council and a member of the NCAA Board of Governors. She's an accomplished academic, a former professor, dean, and uh, someone with many degrees, including a PhD from Texas Christian University. Dr. Miller, thank you for joining the podcast today. Well, thank you for inviting me. We're just thrilled to have you on. So at Her Next Play, we're all about sports, leadership, and careers. So I wanted to start with your sports experience. I understand you're not only a lifelong sports fan, but you competed in track and gymnastics and softball as a youth. Can you talk a little bit about the role that sports has played in your life? You know, one of the things I learned as a result of sports is that you can control a lot of things in your life, but there's some things that you can't control but it's what you do and, and, and as you're moving forward that really matters. So if you give it your all, regardless of the outcome, that to me is an important lesson that I've learned from, from being an athlete, that what you do matters, not always the outcome that you hope to have. Right, right. I actually just uh, was coming from a tennis drill and on the on the way out, I heard one of the coaches say, it's not you don't win or lose, you win or grow. <laughs> so you learn something from from whatever that outcome is. Yeah, you, 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 tr- you truly do. I mean, you, you, you're hurt. But I think that um, you learn to deal with that hurt in, in very real and important ways. But it can play such an important role. Uh, but let me also say, I was a mediocre athlete compared to, I am in awe of our, and I call our students here scholar athletes. I am in awe of what they accomplish and what they do all the time. It's amazing. Yeah, I relate to you. I think I I consider myself, I played college soccer, but I consider myself a mediocre athlete as well. But I think that's one of the things that's so fantastic about sports is that you don't have to be an an elite athlete to get all of the lessons and to learn everything um, from sports. So I want to talk a little bit about, a little bit more about the leadership development that comes from sports. Anything else from both your perspective and your journey um, that you learned as a leader through sports? And then how do you think about sports as a component of development? developing leaders at Hamlin? Well, I, I, I see sports as playing a very important role. One, because you have to understand and appreciate what it means to be a part of a team. That um, when you're doing gymnastics, you want to get a team score, but you're also looking for the individual score, but your team matters. So how you perform, what you do, not only in terms of the performance of the sport, but your attitude and your behavior matters. So learning to be a member of a team is just as important as learning how to lead that team. And in order to be a leader, you've got to make people want to to follow you. 
So it's not that you hold that big stick and you say, I'm in charge. But what are your goals? What do you want to accomplish? How do you, how do you relate to the other members of that team? Do you bring them together no matter what? To me, those are the important components of being a leader. And I see the students here at Hamlin doing that, uh, supporting each other. I mean, we had an incident uh, last, um, not this past fall, but the fall before, when some athletes did some things that uh, wasn't really acceptable by the campus. But the way in which the team came together, the student athletes who engaged in this behavior, it was their teammates that first stepped up and said, this is not acceptable. What you say and what you do reflects on all of us. So really putting out what it means to be a part of a team and you're not an individual behaving as you choose because it reflects back on the other. So knowing how to be a, a member of a team is just as important as being the leader of that team. Right, absolutely. And I think that there are lots of different ways to learn how to be part of a team, but sports certainly is one avenue that's really helpful in developing that school skill, which is hard to just kind of develop in an instant once you uh, enter the workplace. So um, I want to hear a little bit more about kind of what motivated, it sounds like you're a great advocate for student athletes on campus. You go to their competitions. I heard you flew to see the team in the Frozen Four when they were there, and you're really involved um, also in the NCAA, that, which we'll talk about in a minute. But what motivated you to become such an advocate for student athletes? They're an important part of the community. Um, they are a student like anyone else. And what they're doing is um, really representing the institution every time they participate in their sport. They're representing the institution. Um, so I believe in what they do. I believe in how hard they work. And I believe in who they are as individuals and as members of a team. So it was not a hard thing uh, for me to get involved with uh, my student uh, scholar athletes. They're all, they also raise um, spirit. You know, they raise the university spirit. And so because it gives you something to cheer about, it gives you something to cry about, it brings communities together. And so if you are a president, who wants to see a community that is indeed a community, then you will be supportive of your scholar athletes. You'll get involved. Yeah, I love it. And I'm, it sounds like they love having your support as well. So you are chair of the NCAA Division III President's Council. Can you tell us a little bit about what the purposes of that group and how you ended up in that role? Um, I ended up in that role because in my conference, uh, my athletic conference, I volunteered to serve on the president's advisory council. Um, and, you know, it was clear that no one else was going to volunteer. So I didn't feel as though there was any competition, but I made it clear that I wanted that role. Uh, I wanted to serve in that role. And by serving in that role, I got invited to be a part of the president's council. And I'll be honest with you, I was not shy about wanting to wanting to play a leadership role in Division Three. I've not been shy about what I like to see in Division Three. I've, I've not been shy about the role that I would like Division Three to play in, at the Board of Governors. I like us to have a bigger, bigger platform, a big, bigger footprint. Uh, so I have not been shy about these things. And I learned a long time ago that if you want to make sure that the things that you care about get heard, 
then you must be at the table. And there are things that I wanna see happen. And my feeling is that the only way I can see that happen is that I'm at the table, not the children's table, not the, you know, at the window with my nose, pre my, uh, at the window with my nose pressed against it, but sitting at that table, bringing about change. So my getting involved uh, with the NCAA has been because I want to be a part of change. I want to be a part of making sure that uh, my voice and the voice of those I represent gets heard. So I want to talk a little bit about what are some of the changes you want to see. I can hear the passion in your voice. And obviously you have a lot of different priorities and you're taking time to get to this table. What are some of the things that you want to see change for Division Three sports? Well, one of the things that I've always focused on is equity and inclusion. Um, uh, I'm gonna say diversity, because, but, that, but that is a given. Um, but equity and inclusion. I would like to see more women and people of color in leadership roles in, on, on our campuses. Um, as coaches, as athletic and associate athletic directors, and ultimately in the national office. Although we have some, but I wanna see more uh, at the very, very top. So I want to see, um, I wanna see that change. I wanna see uh, more women and people of color leading on our campuses. And I say to my colleagues all the time, uh, and I appreciate the programs that the NCA has to, to bring more women to the table and diverse um, members to the table. I really appreciate that. But while the NCA might be doing that on our particular campuses, we are the ones who make decisions about who get hired. That's on us. So if we're complaining about there not being any women or people of color who are coaches or athletic directors, that's at our doorstep because we make those decisions and we can change. Right. Absolutely. I, I love it. And I, it's such a huge area where we need to continue to make a lot of different of, of progress. So I want to talk a little bit about what happened over the weekend in the Division One men's and women's NCAA basketball tournament. So there were some glaring disparities between the men's and women's tournaments that ended up going viral. And it was interesting because um, in one sense, it was really disappointing to see some of the disparities on the other side. You know, there really was such a reaction in the community, um, in the media, online and social media in terms of, you know, this not being um, acceptable anymore. And, and they're really needing to be a change in terms of how women's sports are supported and um, what we're doing to really support, particularly the women's um, basketball game because there is so much potential increasing viewership and all of that. And I think it's just um, women's basketball is a sport, you know, where there's a lot of upside um, with the right investment and support. So I just wanna get your reaction kind of, were you surprised at the turn of events? Um, what did you make of the situation? Well, of course, I was disappointed when I heard um, the disparity and and sort of the the, the trainers, the, the equipment, and all of that. So I was very disappointed. However, again, as you mentioned, I was pleased with the response and the immediate response to correct it. In this instance, I don't think it was intentional by the NCAA. I think it was again not paying attention to what women might need. Uh, that is equal to what men need in order to uh, engage in their sport at the highest level possible. So I, I don't think it was mean-spirited. 
I don't think it was any, I don't think it was trying to, to denigrate women in any way. It was not paying attention. I mean, front and that's just, that's it, not paying attention. So I, I do think that uh, we've got to pay closer attention to what it is we do. Um, how do we respond? How do we treat each other? I agree with you. There is a lot of opportunity in women's basketball, a lot of opportunity. Lots of people watch women's basketball. And I'll be honest with you, I will sit there and watch a women's basketball game in half a years before I watch one of the men's games um, because I, I really appreciate the level of play. Now I will tell you, as I've watched the women play basketball, I always look at who's the coach. Is it a woman coaching that team? Is it a male coaching that team? Because with Title IX, who coached women's sports changed. And so I always pay attention to that, right or wrong, I do. So I'm not saying, and I also look at who's coaching men's sports, because if men are coaching women's sports, why aren't more women coaching men's sports? They've proven they're more than capable because these women get to, they're, they're, they're performing at the top level uh, of their sports. So I do think we have to pay attention to those issues and make sure that we don't have to apologize for inequities that, that exist, that we discover at the last minute, but that they don't happen to begin with. Right, right. And hopefully getting more women and more leaders of color at the table will help. Yes. Um, worry about that if they're in, at the table and making those decisions and paying attention. Well, you know, it's, it's not just getting women and people of color at the table, because if you get those who uh, go along for the sake of going along, because they're so honored and thrilled to be at the table, then they're at the table, but they're not making any difference. Um, I, I, I feel as though you've got to disrupt. Um, and people, people don't like that. But the bottom line is that the only bring, way you bring about change sometimes is disrupting. Absolutely. I love that. I do want to talk a little bit about diversity of student athletes too. I think a lot of times um, in our work, we run into a lot of assumptions that there's uh, the student athlete population or scholar athlete population is more diverse um, than the general student population. But actually in Minnesota, and I think particularly at D3, that's not true. Um, I'm not sure what it's like at Hamlin and what your perspective is, but how, how do we build that pipeline so that more student or scholar athletes of color have an opportunity to play college sports? One of the things that here at Her Next Play we're really focused on is making sure that uh, middle school girls of color stay in sports because we know that girls are dropping out of sports at twice the rate of boys and then girls of color are dropping out of sports at twice the rate of white suburban girls. And so how can we make sure that there's equity and access kind of all the way up the chain so that by the time you get to college, there are, are there is that pipeline of um, athletes of color to play. Do you have any perspective kind of on how the community can come together? Because I think that sports experience is so important in building leadership skills and there's so many opportunities tied to that ability to be a scholar athlete. Uh, the point that you're making is such an important point. It truly is. And I will say Division Three as a whole does not very, do very good in recruiting athletes of color. Um, yes, um, in Minnesota, we've not done a very good job. But if you look across our institutions, the number of, of students of color who are athletes 
is very is, is small relative to the, the number who are playing all together. And then when you disaggregate that by racial ethnic category, then you've even got more of a problem because you see that Asian Americans aren't necessarily there, like the Latinx members aren't necessarily there. So we're really talking about African Americans for the most part, rather than, or the indigenous uh, population is not there. So we don't have a diversity of, of racial ethnic groups playing at the level in which we need them to play. However, they're playing in high school. They're playing in high school, they're playing in middle school. So why isn't they, they, they're playing when they get to us. And I think some of it is burnout. Some of it is. Um, some of it is that, that, that message that you can't balance both, that you've got to focus on your, on your academics because that, that's your way out. That's your way out and your way up. And I think we've got to get the message out that students at, at Hamlin anyway, our scholar athletes have a higher combined GPA than our overall student body. So that means there's something really good going on in that, that athlete body in terms of academics. So letting them see that that's where additional academic support is going to come. That's where you get a team, where you, where, where you, where you can study with others. So letting people, letting them know the value of participating in athletics as well as the value of being a really good student, that they don't have to be disconnected, but how do they come together? And we have to go on and just recruit, recruit, recruit. But we have to be honest with these students in terms of what our campuses look like, what supports we provide for them when they get here. We have to be very honest with them. And if we don't have that support system in place, then don't go out and bring them to your campus. And then you also have to bring a cohort, you should not look to bring a one-off. Bring groups of students together so that they can have those others to interact with. That's really important that they see someone who looks like them, who understands their experience. They can be members of the larger community, but that smaller community is that support system in a variety of different ways. Right, yeah, there's so, there's so much to inclusion to getting to equity. Absolutely. So I want to change a little bit more towards your story. Um, we find that women athletes tend to do really well in male dominated environments. And um, you have achieved so much in your career. You've been a barrier breaker. You've thrived in both male and predominantly white environments, often as the only black woman. So what has been your experience as being that first? And what do you see as the most important things to blazing the, that path so that you're not the first, but there's also the second, the third, the fourth? Being the first is tough and uh, for, in a variety of ways, because you have to remind people that you're not different from the rest. You have to constantly remind people of that is that um, I remember when I was in graduate school and the comment was made, Fanny, she's different, she's not like the rest. I knew exactly what, that, what they meant by that. Um, rem don't let yourself be seen as an exception, let yourself be seen as different. I mean, as, 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 not, as, as different from the rest because then you lose your voice, you lose your voice. And so what I've done is always be mindful of who I am as a person uh, the fact that I'm always representing, that's tough 
but I'm always representing. And I am always willing to serve as a mentor for anyone who comes behind me. My thing is that when you go through that door, leave it open, don't close it behind you. Some people go through that door and they close it behind them because they want to be seen as the exception. They want to be seen as the only person who has the ability to succeed because they are afraid of the competition that they might have. Don't be afraid of competition. Don't be afraid of learning from someone else and getting a better as a result of that. But certainly don't close that door behind you and be willing to be a role model, to be a mentor for those coming behind you. Always be willing to do that. Take those calls, respond to those emails. Right. And that's what you're doing today, sharing your story here on the podcast. So we really appreciate it. At Her Next Play, our mission is to develop the next generation of women through sports. And that's built on the passion of just seeing that need for more women leaders um, and women leaders of color um, in all different industries. So you have a background in, in psychology, you've taught leadership development programs. So you're obviously such an advocate for equity inclusion. What do you see as the biggest challenge for accelerating the progress of women in leadership? What, what should we be focused on as a community right now? It's a big question, but it's a very, very good question. And I, my, my answer is maybe not the best answer, but I always say, don't doubt yourself. Women, we sometimes wait until our, we, we want one more credential. We want one more publication. We want one more this, because then we think we're ready. Males don't do that. Males put themselves forward whether they really are ready or not. And in their mind, they are. I would say to women, you are ready. If you've done all the things that you need to do, don't worry about that one more credential. Don't worry about that one more publication. Don't worry about that one more anything. Put yourself out there. And the other thing, don't be afraid to move. Because we are relational. Many of us are relational. We care about our families. We don't want to be too far away from our families. Bring your family with you. As I have had to make some moves that most women would not make. My husband lives in Vermont. I live in Minnesota. When I left Brown, I lived in Vermont. My husband lived in Rhode Island. We commuted until we were able to be together in the same space. So he understood what it is I wanted to accomplish and why. And I had a strong support system in him and my son. So I think we have to allow ourselves to be present in those spaces where we have not always been present. Don't, don't question your ability, unless there's reason to. If you haven't done the job, there's reason to. But if you have done the work, don't question your ability. And don't apologize when you speak out. Unless, unless, again, if you're speaking out and you're speaking out for the right thing, don't begin by apologizing. Women tend to begin by apologizing before they say what they want to say. Don't apologize. Say what you need to say and say it with confidence. I, I wholeheartedly agree. So I want to just wrap up uh, two things. One, 
what are you passionate about right now? So you once said, don't allow others to take your voice from you. Don't allow your others to own the ideas unless there's a reason that they should give yourself credit. A lot of the kind of themes that you just mentioned, how do you want to continue to use your voice? What change or impact do you want to make at Hamlin or in our community? You know, I, I want to continue to make sure that all my students feel as though they matter. And right now, my focus isn't just on my, my, my scholar athletes. Right now, my focus is on making sure that all my students can afford to be here. Um, doing all I can to work with Congress to double that Pell Grant, to increase the state grant, um, those kinds of things. Because once you take care of those financial needs, then you can focus on or have people focus on making sure that you matter, feeling as though you matter. And from my perspective, I need to do all that I can to make sure my students feel as though they matter. We're in the middle of a pandemic and I will tell you the one thing that I really miss, when I walk around campus and the students come up to me, my, my scholar athletes do this more than anyone else. Matter of fact, for my birthday, I got a, a, a video from one of my football players wishing me a happy birthday, uh, which, was, which made my day. But one of the things that they will come up to me and ask is, have you had your hug for the day? And if I say yes, I'll say, but I can always use another and they'll give me a hug. If I say no, I get a hug. We don't, invite, we don't get in each other's space unless we're invited into that space. Let me make that perfectly clear. But my students feel comfortable enough by coming up to me and say, I need a hug. I miss that because that says to me, my students don't see me just as their president. They see me as family and I see them as family. And that to me is really important because that means that I matter to them and they know they matter to me. That's what I miss right now. And that's what's important, making sure they still feel as though they matter. I think that's so important even more than ever now with all the impacts of the pandemic. So just to wrap things up, um, we're all about women leaders um, at Her Next Play. So who is one woman leader who's inspiring you right now? Wow, that's a, well, you know, I, I have to say Kamala Harris. Um, one, because she's one of my sorority sisters. Really? <laughs> that's amazing. Yes, she's one of my sorority sisters, and I'm so proud of her. But there are so many women doing some incredible things. The, the new president of MSNBC is a woman. Uh, you know, there, there, is, there is, you know, the new, I think was an American Express just hired a, a, a woman. I mean, I am just in, in awe of these women who are doing amazing things out there right now. So there, you know, I look at them and I, and, I, and I smile, but then I also look at my students and I will, I'm in Minnesota where the George Floyd protests began. I live across from the governor of the state so many of the protesters were in front of the governor's house. When I look at the women who were part of that movement, I mean, there were students across the gender categories, but when I look at who was leading a lot of these efforts, it was women. Our female students, 
are, are, are scholar, a female scholar athletes who were out there saying, this is not okay. This is not okay. So, you know, I, I am so proud of so many people right now, so many women who are doing amazing things, whether it's their job, whether it's in their social life, whether it's in terms of our, our society. I am just so proud of so many women right now. And that's only gonna get better. Yeah, I agree. It's amazing to see all the, the leadership out there. Dr. Miller, thank you for being on the Power Tap podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's been my honor. And that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to the Her Next Play Power Chat podcast. We hope you've been inspired to become part of our community and join us in our mission to develop the next generation of women leaders through sports. You can help support us by heading to our website at www.hernextplay.org to join our Booster Club as a donor or a volunteer. And follow us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at Her Next Play to learn more about our programs and upcoming events. We'll be back soon for the next Power Chat.